We are back for another episode of the 212 podcast. This is a podcast that brings you closer to the people working, living and breathing the arts and entertainment industry. Hit the subscribe button if you like what or who you hear. Our next guest on the podcast is a singer, songwriter and producer hailing from Westport, Connecticut. Like many, her music came to prominence through her deep dive into the rabbit warren that is SoundCloud. Following that, she has appeared in every electronic pocket around, working with the likes of Kygo on the single Not OK, which has nearly 100 million views on YouTube. She's also appeared on The Today Show and Seth Meyers. This year is going to be a massive year for her, um, having been billed to play at Coachella in 2020, but it was cancelled due to the C word, which was a C word for all of us. Uh, please welcome to the podcast, Chelsea Cutler. How are you and where are you today? Hey, I am in New York City. Nice. And you grew, but you grew up in, in Westport, Connecticut. I did. And so I live in the city now. My parents, they're still in Westport. So it's only about an hour away. So it's not too bad. And how was that growing up there? Was there, was there much opportunity for music or, you know, exploring what you, what you wanted? Obviously you're in New York now. It, it's a much bigger city to, to kind of branch out in. Yeah. I think that kind of the proximity to New York City was really great. My parents took us in really often for concerts and Broadway shows and whatnot. So I think I had a lot of exposure to the entertainment industry through that. And my dad also is a is a painter. So it was kind of nice kind of like having a parent who didn't have a super conventional job and had a job in the arts because I feel like through him there was a lot of encouragement in my childhood to like pursue music and pursue uh, different like artistic passions and stuff. So, um, so yeah, living and growing up in Westport was was really wonderful. And that's and that and that's kind of nice actually. I mean, we've spoken to a few people before where they've had parents that are not kind of driven by money or fame. Even if they get it, they're not driven by money or fame. You, you know, your dad working in the arts. Most people don't. <laughs> I mean, the larger percentage of people don't make a great deal of money from it. So it was really taught to you from him to just kind of be more creative and 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 love that side of things. Yeah, totally. I think you know, just like you're saying, I think you know, my dad definitely showed me that it's possible with a lot of hard work and talent that you can kind of defy the odds and be in the the small fortunate percentage of people who are able to make a living with art and i think watching him uh you know be successful in his field definitely showed me that if i you know really put my mind to it that music or or any kind of artistic passion was definitely like a viable option for me so that that was really great and was there any obviously you've got your dad there but was there any inspiration for you in the area that you grew up that that kind of made you want to be a success or you looked up to particularly in my area I, you know I don't I don't think so but I think again like Westport's proximity to New York was great because any time that there was an artist coming through that I wanted to see you know my parents were so wonderful at you know allowing us and, and taking us to shows and stuff so I do think a lot of a lot of music comes through like the greater New York City area. So I think I was able to really see so many artists that I love in person and and, and see their live shows. And through that, I, I really learned how much I love live music and connect to music as a whole. So that was definitely super important. 
Yeah, awesome. Um, I guess one of the things we do talk about a lot from musicians is their their kind of need to move away to get uh, bigger, if that makes sense. And you're in New York now. Did you feel that you needed to make that full time step? Obviously, you're saying it's in close proximity, but did you did you feel like you needed to make that leap to go to to New York to kind of you know get bigger or, or better in what you're what you're what you're applying your trade in? Interestingly enough, I kind of feel like the migration to New York felt more just like a natural pipeline. Like post-college, a lot of my friends, after they graduated, moved to New York for their various jobs. And I think that, you know, in the music industry, primarily you really either can be in New York City or like New York City, Nashville, or Los Angeles in the context of the, the United States. And I think weirdly enough moving to new york didn't really have any like the music industry wasn't really relevant to that decision and i think if it were relevant to that decision i'd probably pick up and go to los angeles because there's not a ton happening here but it just felt it just felt like the natural kind of pipeline again like you know all my friends were doing it it was kind of what we all envisioned post school and talked about, and it just felt supernatural. Music aside, I think it's what I would have done anyway. And I feel like it, you know, with that music side of stuff, you know, you mentioned a few places, you know, Nashville being one of them. I mean, that is predominantly, uh, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's predominantly a, a country scene there as well, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think realistically for me, my personal two options would be New York City or Los Angeles, but I don't know why I just never made the move to LA. It's because you have to drive everywhere. In New York, it's a lot easier to yeah. move around. <laughs> I know. Um, I am. I've fallen so in love with New York just naturally. So, yeah, awesome. And I guess, like you said, if it's you know, I'm from I'm from Brighton in the UK. London was close to us. It was kind of you know, there's always a a natural flow to kind of move up that up that way and a you know a connection there. So I guess uh, upon kind of doing some research before this episode, there was there was a, a bit of a big leap from you playing kind of acoustic instruments to then going into kind of the electronic music production. You know, without the context of how that happened and kind of what made you go towards electronic, given you've you you kind of had a a lot of interest in acoustic instruments. I think that there's there's probably two reasons for that. Reason one is that I think when I was in high school and college, we were kind of at the height of like that future pop era in SoundCloud. And, you know, like Odessa and Flume were coming up and Kygo. So many incredible electronic artists. I mean, like Diplo, DJ Snake, like just there was so it was so hot and it, and it felt really new. And I was really drawn to that. And I think the second reason is because I didn't know how to really record organic instruments. You know, I was, whether I was in at boarding school or, you know, I really started mostly like working on music production once I got to college. So I was just like in a dorm room, um, you know, so it wasn't like I had a real studio at my fingertips in the easiest way really for me to learn how to make music was kind of learning about all these different electronic sounds and things I could do with just my laptop. And I think those two things, 
you know, like moving parallel to each other definitely brought me to like this really interesting, like electronic space in music. And I guess it's a never ending uh, space as well, isn't it? Cause I mean, uh, electronic, you can kind of basically go any which avenue you want to. Totally. And I think, I think we're just in such um, this like mosh pit or, or not mosh pit, but like melting pot, maybe <laughs> like era of, of music where like, I really feel that way. Like anything that's popular, anything that appeals to a lot of people to me is pop music. So it's hard. I feel like there's so many elements of electronic music in pop music. There's so many elements of folk. There's so many elements of hip hop. So I, I kind of feel like I don't even know what like specific genres of music are anymore. Um, I feel like if I am drawn to a particular sound, I'm, you know, I'm going to want to try to use it or incorporate it in some way. And that's interesting because there probably was a time where pop was almost not frowned upon, but you wouldn't, you know, you'd have to be pigeonholed into loving one genre of music. Totally. I think, I think that there was definitely a time where I would have been extremely offended if you categorize me as a pop act. And <laughs> I think it's like, I, I would love to be categorized as a pop act now because it just means something's popular. So I, I think it's like funny how the culture around genre classification has, has definitely evolved a bit. And you wear that kind of badge loud and proud now. Definitely. Yeah. If you called me, uh, a, I think, I think pop music just is so many things now that, you know, I, I personally would be flattered to be considered pop because it just, to me would mean someone's recognizing me as like being popular. So I will gladly take that. Yeah. Noted. If I see you, I'm going <laughs> to, I'll say that to you in person. Um, I mean, you mentioned the, I, I, I also loved soundcloud growing up i just loved seeing the the different bands that then went on to make it i mean i've spoken about it quite a few times in this podcast you know there's you know denzel curry was one of those ones that i listened to on soundcloud and i expected him to not do as well as some of the other people that i was listening to but he just completely blew up honed his craft with soundcloud among among other platforms that they were seemed to be really important for you to kind of hone your craft and I wondered how how important you think uh, these platforms are for emerging and up, you know upcoming artists. Yeah, dude. I mean, they're essential, just like you're saying. Like, I think something that was so cool uh, about SoundCloud and, and still is, although like I do feel like the space, you know, obviously has definitely been disrupted by like streaming platforms now. But um, I think I think what SoundCloud had before anybody else was it just like attracted such a demographic of like kids who like wanted to find like underground music and like wanted to find cool artists and cool remixes and stuff. And I think like all of my friends who really, really cared about music in a different way were all like digging through SoundCloud. We don't, you know, we'd always like go sit in each other's dorm rooms and play each other new stuff we found. And I think SoundCloud just like so heavily contributed to a culture of like music discovery and it contributed to this culture where music discovery was in the hands of the consumer, which, you know, obviously that's just continued to like get expedited by, you know, TikTok and social media now. But I think SoundCloud was really, I, you know, I, I probably was too young for like Napster and LimeWire and stuff, 
because I'm I'm 26, so I feel like by the time I was like really consuming music, we were we were kind of in the SoundCloud days. But yeah, I think I think that's like SoundCloud was just such a pioneer in that way, and and so Spotify has been too. I think. Do you have any examples of people that you listened to when you were growing up that were in that SoundCloud space that you, well, perhaps on both sides, like one that you thought was going to be bigger that didn't make make it bigger and one that just completely blew up? Yeah. I mean, one that completely blew up is Billy. You know, like I, you know, me and all my friends were listening to like Billy and Phineas's first stuff when that was on SoundCloud and that, you know, that obviously is what it is now, uh, which is incredible. They're and just they're just playing small small gigs now, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, small so two hundred and fifty cap rooms now. So. <laughs> someone who's yeah, that's a difficult question. Like someone who I thought would blow up and didn't because you know there's so many different kind of categories of success. You know that's difficult for me. I feel like to make an assessment. I guess that. That, I, I guess that's right as well, isn't it? It's I mean, it's whatever you deem success. I mean, success is just being artist in general and living your life. I mean, you've mentioned that with having grown up in that background. Yeah, a hundred percent. So yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know if I'm like qualified to answer that, but there's a million. Even like someone like Matt Mason, I found on SoundCloud super early demo, and he's another example of an artist that you know he he's crushing it now. He just like two of his records just went platinum like today he posted about. And um, so that's like another artist I feel so proud about discovering in the SoundCloud days. And yeah, there's a, I mean, there's a million. It was, it was like such a beautiful time for music. And it's hard to not feel smug about it as well. Like, oh, I, I, I listened to them first. Dude, I mean, that's what it's all about, right? Like, that's why, again, like that's why SoundCloud felt like such a, disruptor, at least to like my generation. Like, I, again, I know that I think, LimeWire and Napster and like being able to have music for free in that capacity was probably really disrupting as well. But for me and like my generation, I feel like SoundCloud was the first place we could like stream music for free. And I know this one kind of a segue, but we've got we've got a few musicians on the the series this this season that are kind of the the top of the the kind of pros in terms of doing it for forty years, fifty years, or you know, touring arenas. And I, I, you know, I know it's hard to say because you represent that kind of rising musician, the one that's actually kind of making it now, but also the the one that represents what the future is as well. But do you think we kind of mentioned it as well before, but do you think there is more uh, to an artist now in terms of, I know it's difficult to say you've got your management in the background as well, but <laughs> I'm thinking before you would have management to run your gigs, but now it's kind of feels like you you have to do the SoundCloud, the plugging, the social media, the word of mouth. Do you think that seems like more to do these days than possibly what you would have heard from others? Yeah, I think that, you know, in my short time in the music industry, I I, I dropped out of, I put my out really like my first project in 2017. So, you know, five and a half years ago or so. And I dropped out of school to tour, you know, about five years ago as well. So the way that even the the landscape has shifted just in my kind of brief time in the music industry is is really wild and i f- i feel like social media is and tech it it snowballs you know like once people get used like i'm trying to think how to explain this like i feel like as apps pop up that kind of encourage the consumption of content 
the disruption of the space just like it, it's faster and faster and faster. So that's kind of what I mean about like snowball. Like I think TikTok again is a, is a really great example of that. And I do think even just again, like in my short time, there've just been so many changes there. There's definitely obviously much more of a need for social presence. And I think that also like, it seems like there is more kind of, there's more responsibility on the artist's shoulders now than I experienced in the first couple of years of my career, for sure. And it's interesting, one of the things you said there as well is that it does feel a little bit like apps technology just becomes outdated a lot quicker now. Yeah, like I think I think the most successful apps, social media apps, are things that like disrupt what already exists. And if you think of like, there's Facebook and Twitter and then Instagram and like all this stuff, like I feel like each app has increasingly you know, like been increasingly disruptive. And I think a big trait of being disruptive is like, obviously how much can this app, like how much screen time can this app command from all of us, right? Because obviously that's the purpose of like any developer. Like how do we make this app something that people, they have to stay within the app, they're going to use it a lot. And so if you've, you have something like TikTok, for example, which has us scrolling mindlessly even more than we did on Instagram. I can only imagine the next thing that comes out is going to be even more disruptive and more addictive than that. So it, to me, it's like each next thing that comes has to be even crazier and crazier and crazier. So I can't, I, I don't even want to think about what could possibly come next. Until we're just cyborgs. For, I mean, we're already <laughs> we're halfway there. <laughs> Um, how helpful when you were getting into the industry, obviously no know, knowing what you were kind of getting yourself into, but I guess as as you kind of dig deeper, obviously you you find find out more. But how helpful were your friends and family around you? Did they kind of push you to do it, or was anyone kind of telling you, oh, you should should, should kind of watch out there? I think that my family in particular was so supportive and really encouraged me to pursue music, especially once they saw that there was a little bit of fire there, you know, they were like, all right, let's pour gas on this. Let's do the, let's do the thing. So they were super supportive. And I think that like, I would, you know, I think my friends have always been nothing but supportive. I think to them, it's so foreign and, and really cool and awesome. They're just like super proud of me. They don't even like fully understand how the music industry works or even like what any of it means. So they're just like, oh, sick. You want to go do music? All right we love you. Like, go do this thing, you know? And, you know, you, you, your music was pushed through SoundCloud, as we've mentioned. Is that how you find, you know, your new music or how do you, how do you look for your, your, your kind of what's happening now? I know it's really difficult when you're in it as well. It feels like, you know, possibly like work looking for new music as well, but is, um, how do you find, how do you find new music yourself? Yeah, that too. That's like the golden ticket question, I feel like, because I think there's so much focus on singles as a product right now. And there's significantly less focus on artists as the product, you know, because like TikTok is such a, you know, song based, singles based, you know, platform. And I think, you know, with, with, 
playlist thing on DSPs. Again, it's singles based, it's song based. So I think it's really, really hard right now to like find artists that I am really intrigued by. I would say in the past few, like in the past year or two, you know, the the only artists that I've really felt like a soul connection with probably be like Holly Humberstone and Sam Thunder. If I had if I like had to pick kind of going through like a soul connection with Mimi Webb she just put out a new album but I just feel like it's been like really few and far between I don't know if you've had a similar experience with that yeah I think I think we're kind of still in that hangover period aren't we it's it's you know uh, this is one of the questions I was going to ask you just in terms of the you know COVID made everyone sit down Um, and I think there's a lot of music that people are now coming to to produce and to to make and i think in the next couple of years i think we're really going to find some amazing stuff i don't know if you feel that way but i think there's still a little bit of a hangover from the the kind of covid land and then th- there's there's going to be some amazing stuff that comes comes out of it as well yeah i don't know dude i might be like a little more cynical than you probably because <laughs> like because i'm jaded and like in like i actually have to like deal with the industry all the time like Mm. i don't know i think i want to feel that way really badly and and i i like say to my therapist every week i'm like please help me be less cynical and more like just spread more love and stuff and i think i think i just feel like the industry even as a consumer i feel really overwhelmed like i feel like the industry is really inundated and i i think there's so much good stuff um i totally agree with you i would just like love for there to be more infrastructure in place to connect us to all that good stuff like connect us not just again like not just on a song level but like on an actual artist level you know i feel like there's so much to see there's so much to listen to there's so so many artists to choose from that i don't know like you know like humans obviously when you're at the grocery store and there's like eight different types of milk you're just kind (laughs) of like all right screw it I don't need milk because it's hard to make a decision with eight options versus, you know, kind of someone taste making and, and helping like streamline that process for you. So I, I struggle with it a little, a little bit, but, um, but I'm fully like owning that. I'm definitely more cynical. than. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you're totally right though as well. Like on that side of it, as it, we, we spoke, uh, we've spoken about it numerous times of just, you know, Spotify. I mean, you, you know, everyone's on Spotify. So it's, so it's kind of a, a poison chalice really but it, i don't think humans are supposed to have that much that many options so it does feel yeah, overwhelming like there's space for i don't i don't feel like the music industry is a limited space like i genuinely believe that there's space for everyone to carve their lane but when there's like what is it zoe you might have you might know but like when there's i think 40,000 songs added to spotify weekly or something like that it's just like all right how do we kind of what's the infrastructure to like organize this and, and connect fans to the artists that they might, you know, connect with. And yeah, I don't know. It's just, I feel like where it's exactly what you said. There's like, an, there's such an influx of incredible art. And for me, it's more an issue of how, how do we kind of bridge the gap between like art and consumer? Future thinking for where you're going to actually be. I mean, you're going to be, there's going to be, so many amazing artists that you're going to get to play with over the next coming years. Who were your idols growing up and who did you look up to? I would say Coldplay is probably my biggest 
And then obviously the 1975 um, was really massive for me. I think they they really started getting big, what, in like 2012, 2013. So I was like four and 15, 16 years old. So that they were like really impactful on, on my like formative teenage years. So I think, you know, them and Florence was Florence was like having such a massive moment in like my formative teenage years as well. So Bonnie Vare. Yeah, I don't know. My parents played everything like, you know, they, they played like a lot of singer songwriter stuff that like probably most white people in New England listen to like John Mayer and Bob Dylan and yeah, all that Matchbox 20, like all that good stuff. There's a lot of, there's a lot of British artists that you just mentioned there, Chelsea. I love, yeah, dude. I just, the two people I said from the last few years that I love are Sam Fender and Holly Humberstone. That's it. Do you see, you also mentioned Coldplay. Do you think the shit that they get um, Coldplay f- is is kind of warranted for kind of Actually, being? Of course not. Yeah. I mean, any like, dude. I mean, I don't know. Any you know, any people people's opinions are their opinions and stuff. But like, it's pretty hard to argue with what Coldplay has done and like what they've built. You you're kind. Of, I mean, you you're 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 starting out and and but also you're you're in it, but you're you're kind of progressing you you kind of represent that that emerging artist and and i wonder is 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 there, is there anyone that kind of is there anyone that you would love to play with that, that kind of daunts you to play with do you think you would if you played with any of the artists that you've mentioned you, you'd be afraid of that or do you think you'd just take it with both hands i know i think definitely i think i'm i'm like a fairly like nervous person when it comes to like meeting my heroes or like other artists that i love so um, I would, I would probably like shake and word vomit stupid stuff if I got to like meet or play with like any artist that I love. <laughs> <laughs> so Chris Martin comes up for a handshake, and you're just gonna vomit oh my god. straight away. Oh, oh my god! I would, I definitely, I think I would like sweat and faint probably. <laughs> love it. Um, and he seems like a really like down to earth guy as well. Whenever you see clips of him, he everyone seems like I've a really met. Or like everyone I know who has like met or or worked with Coldplay in any capacity has had only like the best things to say about them, which is really incredible. It's so funny that he's got that kind of relationship with Jay Z as well, where they've done collaborations as well. They kind of I love the mix, the mix of genres. So cool! People- like the fact that they have a, a record, they have a record with Jay Z, they have a record with Rihanna, they have a record with the Chainsmokers. Like it's they're so cool. Um, what are your aspirations? Do you set any or do you just kind of just ride the wave? I definitely am more of an aspiration based person. Although sometimes I wish I could just ride the wave and like just be so excited and grateful for everything that life has in store. But directly in front of me is like this whiteboard mounted in my studio that kind of has just, you know, an outline of things like I'd like to achieve and a general timeline and such. So. Yeah. Um, who do you is is any is there any bands or people on there that you want to play with that are kind of more closely linked to the type of music that you play? You know, I'm not expecting you to, as I say, like uh, play with Dolly Parton or, or or or, but like, is there someone that you feel like you want to play and feels attainable to you in the in the kind of short future? Yeah, no, totally. I think there there are so many artists that I would be beyond honored to work with. I think having the opportunity to get to write or even just be in the studio in some capacity with Flume, I think would be 
insane just because his sound design is is arguably him and Odessa are like arguably the two electronic artists that that totally revolutionized my perspective of electronic music. Um, so either Flume or Odessa would be really really incredible. And I mean, any artist I love, I I would truly be beyond honored to work with in some capacity. You know, I think again, like a Sam Fender or a Louis Capaldi um, would be, I mean, the list like goes on. I, we could talk all night about everyone I would like kill for a shot to work with. I think you're in the wrong, you're in the wrong place, Chelsea. I think you need to move to London with all those, those artists. I know. <laughs> my, uh, my publishing team has been, uh, has been like nipping at my heels to get me to, to do a trip over in London. And I think it's just, you know, it's difficult to like figure out time and our schedules to like get, you know, get overseas. But it, it's, it's like, it's a ticking time bomb. It's got to happen. Um, we mentioned the, the kind of Coachella thing. Obviously you've just talked about the London stuff as well, but what are you most looking forward to, to play this year or to do this year, given that there has been that kind of halt and we're kind of coming out of that now? Yeah, I think we really, really want to prioritize playing overseas this year, which is like my dream. I think particularly post-COVID, it's been definitely a little bit more expensive and challenging to tour overseas. And so we just really banged out like three domestic US tours in the last year and a half. And we're all kind of, you know, we're all kind of sitting at the table like, all right, guys, it's we gotta put something together and, you know, and get over to Australia and Europe and uh and Asia. So I'm very, very excited to kind of help that like come to fruition. And you know, I've I've never I I toured in Europe a couple times. I opened for Love and then I did a really small headline run as well. But it's been a really long time, and I and I and I've never been to Australia or Asia to play my own headline shows either. So uh, that's kind of hopefully on the docket. Do you do you have any other creative outlets as well as music? Is there anything else? You, I mean, you mentioned your dad's an artist as well. Were you, were you doing some of that as well growing up? He kind of had us doing it here and there, but you know that's something I really struggle with. Like I think. I put so much creative energy into music. I'm not particularly sure like what, how else I like to express myself creatively, but I don't know, like I bought a film camera a couple of months ago. So going around the city and shooting has been kind of fun, but yeah, that dude, that's an incredible question. And one that maybe we could check back in on in like <laughs> a year. <laughs> there is one I want to check back in on in a year, which is going to be my final question a little bit later, but the success of your album and then obviously the pandemic happened has that allowed you to to kind of write more music, sit with producers, you know, get more in the bank? It kind of felt like it grinded to a halt. It was 2020 and then stop. Yeah. So weird. I think a really important thing about being an artist is understanding the cyclical nature of relevance and momentum in the industry. And I think you know, there was so much momentum going around my first album and the, you know, in, in kind of in conjunction with like the Brent projects I did with Jeremy. And I think it took me definitely a really long time, longer than expected to be okay and at peace with that momentum, slowing down, 
you know, with the pandemic and everything. And I think, yeah, like, like you asked, it's given me a lot of time to really work on music and like establish connections with people I enjoy working with. And yeah, it just, it took me a really long time to like get to a place where I felt like I could kind of like be a silent assassin and like, you know, work in peace and, and uh, not worry so much about, you know, what, what was going on in the surface. Did you set any goals for the album when it came out? I, gosh, it was a really long time ago. One of the goals that I do know that we did was I, uh, I wanted to play two nights at Terminal 5 in New York City. So we, we did do that. I think the one goal I do remember that I really, I really wanted Sad Tonight to go to do well at Top 40 Radio. And it, it impacted, but obviously with the pandemic, there wasn't like very much we could do. So, but yeah, I don't know. When you were growing up, you played soccer a lot. Again, another British reference there, but yeah. uh, obviously the US is, is uh, they're, they're creating their own thing. Finally, they've, they've jumped on the bandwagon of, of soccer and they can actually, um, you know, put in, put in a good shift in the World Cup now. But do you think that determination that sports, sports teaches you can kind of carry over to music? Do you seem, seem kind of quite determined to get, get amongst it and, you know, be successful? Yeah, totally. I think I I feel like the most important thing maybe from playing on a team is the fact that everything in music feels like such a team sport. Like I have my management team, I've got the label team, my legal team, my business team, my touring team, you know, everything around you. Like there's just there's no way that I could have any semblance of a fraction of the career that I've been fortunate to have if it weren't for all like the incredible people I have around me. And I think, you know, on a, obviously playing like college soccer taught me a lot about just like how to, how to work on a team and leadership and obviously like navigating conflicts and difficult times and stuff. So um, I think that that's probably like the most important thing that I've taken away from it. We're coming to the end of the episode. I did have one, as we mentioned before, <laughs> I did have one aspiration question. Feels like a bit of a, a little bit of a dad question, actually. But um, so we can come back to this in in the next kind of five years. Do you have like a what you know? You said you've got the board in terms of what you look at, what your aspirations are. Is there a dream festival or an event that you would love to work on or headline in the next five years? Ooh, okay. In the next five years. So okay. I put put it out in the universe, Chelsea. Put it out in there. Totally, totally. My so my therapist like has she always says to me, until you die, you have no data that you won't do something. You know, so like I tr I try not to like put things in too strict of time, kind of uh like metrics. But I think that like headlining Lollapalooza in Chicago, it would be like the biggest honor of my life like i it's like my favorite festival i i've gotten to close out a stage there headline a stage there but obviously not the whole festival and um they've just they've like just given me my favorite shows in my life and you know to get to headline there would be like the pinnacle of, of my whole life you heard it here first chelsea's gonna be headlining loser <laughs> in the next five years it's going to happen. Um, Chelsea Cutler, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time with us today and um, good luck in the upcoming um, festival season. Awesome. Thanks so much, Dan. 
This podcast was edited by Podlike. We provide expert audio and video production for podcasters and content creators. Find out more at podlike.online.